Hello, welcome to the Jericho Comedy Podcast. We're an award-winning comedy club based in Oxford, and this podcast is a way for us to connect our lovely audiences with some of our amazing acts. I'm Connor McReynolds. For today's episode, I'm speaking to the genuinely brilliant Alex Keeley. Alex is a Jericho Comedy regular. He previews his shows and brings his tour shows to us, and you may have seen him performing at our Oxfordshire Mind Galas in 2017 and earlier this year. I love Alex's comedy. So this is going to be really fun. Later, you're going to hear a clip of Alex performing live at Jericho Comedy. And we'll also be playing you a message from our lovely charity partner, Oxfordshire Mind. But first, here he is, the fantastic Alex Keeley. So, Alex, hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the Jericho Comedy Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, <laughs> it's a pandemic, but uh, you know. They're... You sounded like you were really trying to convince yourself there that you were good. It's like no, I I am good. I am. Yeah, I think you know there are two wolves inside all of us, and the two wolves are a sad wolf and the other wolf that is the basketball coach <laughs> of a uh, down and out high school team. And he was once the best coach in the NBA, but had a drug problem and had to move back to there. But in doing so found a lot more than he, he'd originally bargained for. And so I have to be both of those people, the sad person and the, the coach uh, propelling them on every day. That sounds exhausting, Alex. <laughs> and at what point do you does your team win or do, do you lose in the final? Uh, the team what do you wins. think happens to your team? The team wins when a group of uh, vaccine researchers at the University of Oxford uh, <laughs> partner with AstraZeneca and then allow us to get the fuck out of our house. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this, but I have. Um, you can oh bleep my god, it, I'm I so suppose. desperate for this movie now. <laughs> Alex, uh, I felt very lucky to see you performing at the weekend at Jericho Comedy uh, at one of our lovely outdoor gigs. Your first gig in four months, was four that and right? a half months. And uh, boy, if you felt lucky to see me, I cannot. I must be have been ten times luckier to be performing. I'm so happy to. I hadn't been on stage for so long, and it felt so good. And hey, if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably already aware of these gigs. But I will say, uh, you genuinely should absolutely go to one of those shows. It felt. Like it just felt so normal. That was what was so good about it. It was just like it was just like, oh, this is just a gig. This is like a gig that works, even though the audience had to be in bubbles. But it was like there was a really good atmosphere, and it just felt like, yeah, it just felt like a good normal gig. It's great. Oh, I'm so, I'm so pleased that you had such a good time at it. Mm. It was it was our first kind of outdoor gig because we'd done some drive-in gigs. Uh, which were also really lovely. I mean, people were so happy to be there. Clearly. Um, but it was different, you know, you're on stage, you're performing the headlights mm. and you're not seeing smiles and, and that kind of thing. I mean, it, you said it was different. We did make sure that everybody was kind of socially distanced and their own little two meter bubbles. Um, but it's, it's so nice to hear that you had such a good time there. And I don't think I've ever seen a performer come off stage fizzier and happier than you were <laughs> you just seemed so delighted did that feeling was... carry into like sunday as well yeah it really did like it, it's sort of like I, I i guess the thing that was good about it was that one I, it was the weirdest energy i had before before going on stage for a, a long time because it was just sort of oh do i remember how to do this like this is and, and there were just sort of old routines where i like objectively know they're good uh, certainly I've done them like hundreds of times. No, they're good. But I've sort of forgotten, not even forgotten them, but just forgotten like the odd rhythm in the bit that you just, yeah, in that way that yeah. is, wouldn't necessarily be noticeable to an audience member. But if I did it, I would get it 97% right. And the joke would only be 30% as funny because that loss of the 3% sheen just upsets my rhythm. And then it ends the like sort of moderate confidence trick that is all live performance. And the audience yeah. would sort of smell deep down being like, he doesn't quite, there was something weird about that. And he did, so like, <laughs> so I, I just used an excuse. I did quite a lot of new material because I just felt like it was, I did, you know, I tried to do some stuff about lockdown and Corona and things uh -huh. and it felt um really good to do that. And it was, yeah, so like I hadn't forgotten how to perform and I hadn't forgotten how to write. So that was um 
genuinely oh, something I couldn't be sure about you... until I'd been back on stage again. <laughs> you certainly didn't look like a, you had a, a lack of match practice or anything. You were so sharp and everybody oh. had such a great time. Yes, so I lovely. remember, I think I've riffed about squatting on the stage at one point, which was quite fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was so good. Oh well, it was great. I mean, Alex, you've been you've been gigging for a long time now, like nine years. Is that yeah, right? I might. Have, it was. I hit the tenth. Hit the tenth anniversary in February. There was like a really. It was nice. The exact ten years. What a way to market. <laughs> yeah, I like gigging for ten years, and I take four months away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it was good. It was a really. It was nice. The ten year anniversary one was like a really big theater gig. On like a lineup oh, with like cool. Ed Gamble and people, and then that was oh, wow. a, and that and that went really well, and so that was like it was literally to the day ten years since my first one, so that like felt good. Oh, that's amazing! What was your first gig? It was, and let's have a tip. I'm sure there's a, a, a budding comedian or three listening now, <laughs> and I would say emotionally, a good tip is make your first gig not a competition heat. Um, oh, which wow. is what I did and it's like <laughs> it went quite well and it had that like that euphoric I think basically anyone that's ever done stand up pretty much is at some point in their first set they'll have got a laugh so even if like yeah. they told 20 jokes and 19 bombed one will have gone okay or well and the the euphoria and vindication of that moment being like oh I wasn't ridiculous for trying this so you always, you'll probably have that. And it was like a good gig in the sense of like, it broadly went pretty well. And I was mm -hmm. happy and delighted and had that like energy of like, oh, oh, wow, this worked. And then immediately it was like, and now what were the judges sick? Like, it was so like, it was so like, it was so like, now you had your, you had your catharsis now be, be up, down. And then like, it was, like, I didn't, I thought that I had a chance of getting through, but it's just like, you wouldn't get through on your first ever gig. That would be like, insane. Like, anyway, so it was just like, so I wouldn't do that. And then the first, um, I think another phenomenon that's funny is the first about 10 gigs I did, there was an even number, odd number phenomenon, which was oh, the first yeah. gig I would like, I'm massively ever prepared, stress out, do it. And then the joyful surprise of it being good. And then after gig one, you're like, oh, oh I'm really good at this. I don't need to do any prep and I'll just like <laughs> riff it out or whatever. And then gig two bombs. And then, then, and then I learned my lesson. Gig three worked hard again before it, and then went well. And then it just odd numbered, even numbered until like I'd hit the wall enough times. You're like, oh, it's almost like I have to work before every <laughs> every gig, not just odd numbered gigs, like some sort of maths troll. I don't know. <laughs> That's so funny. What was it that kind of brought you to doing comedy? Like, uh, were you always a comedy fan or? Yeah. Or did you just have a lot of friends kind of saying, oh, man, you should be on stage? <laughs> I, I think I probably was boring my own friends telling them that I should be on stage. I don't know, <laughs> something really, really obnoxious like that. No, I had one. I'd um, Well, so always a big comedy fan. I had uh, a friend since age 13, 14 who uh, started doing comedy and is now a very uh, fantastic, successful uh, wonderful comedian Ivo Graham and like definitely him oh. having a, a go at it himself like inspired me to have a crack just just in the sense of like it was like oh there's like oh th this is like something that people I know are, are doing um, yeah. and yeah. I was like oh that looks that looks fun and just copied him yeah <laughs> and just I just I just <laughs> co copy his choices to go um, and then there was a friend of mine at university called Omar who um uh was really like effusive that i should give a very he's a very nice supportive person and very effusive that i should have a crack ah, i see and so did you and ivo roughly start around the same time or did so you he... kind of watch ivo learn all the hard lessons and sort of <laughs> well, <laughs> start at level two yeah yeah well it's sort of like the opposite of that i think it was i think it was if anything <laughs> it was like he started a year before me, and I just think if you looked at us for the first five years, you would have imagined he'd started three years before me or four. Like it was just like <laughs> he Ivo's just like I suppose Ivo's like immediate, pretty meteoric rise in the first sort of three years, uh, four years is something that, uh, and I think he's having another lovely rise at the moment, which is well deserved uh, with that nomination and 
mm. this year's mm-hmm. last last year's fringe. We're now we're now where we should be. We would be at the fringe anyway. Sorry, ramble. Um, yeah, he, <laughs> he, I, I think um, Ivo just rocketed. If anything, it would be like quite scary if you were trying to peg yourself to that because like Ivo's like youngest ever winner. So you think you're funny mm-hmm. and so funny and quick witted and yeah so you wouldn't really want to peg your own validation to him as a measuring pole because you're gonna stare into the vortex and go mad like he <laughs> like he's um it, yeah he's he's so good that you shouldn't when you're starting kobe like well i failed if i haven't become the youngest ever winner so you think you're funny something that was <laughs> physically impossible for me to do given that i'm a year older than him where's my flux capacitor yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> well it's interesting because like you and Ivo I think have uh like quite a similar energy you're both very thoughtful your your comedy's very intelligent uh both obviously very lovely men very very that's, people like you both that's but, I uh, can certainly speak Ivo that obviously Ivo. has <laughs> but Ivo has that uh background as well in improv and you like you're such a masterful writer and it's not that it looks like it's been a lot of effort you writing it but you the way you perform your material i think really showcases how good the writing is i mean i think of like your interstellar bit which absolutely killed at our gala at the playhouse this year yeah that's um, a fun show oh man i mean that that interstellar bit like jaws were just dropping all around me it's phenomenal <laughs> a bit like that that is um obviously so i mean every single word of that is so well thought out like how does a bit like that arrive with you do do you kind of find bits come to you sort of fully formed or do you really have to mine and and really work at it to make it as polished as it is well that's so yeah that's super that's an interesting question i suppose like i think the interstellar one's like a really good example of something that like almost like looks better like i'm really like i'm really glad of it i'm really happy that i have that bit because it's just like a and like i'd meant to do it on saturday but i was sort of running out of time and i wanted to do more but like it's nice to have something which is like oh this is a like i could be doing quite badly at a show and if i do that properly i can at least walk off stage that the audience members will be like oh that was that was good like Mm -hmm. it might like i've got something which is like a show my own set closer so that's like i'm really grateful for that but I equally, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't actually class it as, because um, really as a joke, it's just, it's literally, you could sum it up in like two lines, which is just saying that this, you know, this film is complex and pretends that we can mm-hmm. tech solve our way out of things. In reality, it'd be better for a simpler film that, that, <laughs> that in the bread. And so what, like, it's really just a zoom out of like, you're just like, oh, this is a, you can just say the plot of this film. Like I've, I'm really just saying what the plot of the film is, and I'm doing it in a slightly like, like be in my bonnet, hyper muddled, accentuated yeah, way. But yeah. like, it's just saying the plot of the film quickly and with a few like funny twizzles, and then and then just that kind of release of tension with the kind of alternate like, like oh, it'll just be about recycling thing. Whereas like. I think so that's that's one which just grew naturally being like how can I how can I make it even more complicated how I say all this but like basically (laughs) that was roughly the very first time I told that on stage it's probably about 70% what I do now so which is like pretty pretty similar for a first go so it didn't evolve that much like it was like roughly what it is now was what I did the very first time pretty much Mm -hmm. um whereas like there are other jokes where like you can just like the tags, the tags grow and the little, like there's like a, there was a long Boris Johnson bit I did in 2018, which ended up like fusing three or four bits together. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, I mean, that, that just took age. Like, I don't know. I feel like usually it just like, I'd like to be able to sit down and really write and build like that. But I think with me, it's more like I'm consciously on about comedy the whole time. And I'm the, the, the jokes are sort of, um, kind of flow quite naturally for me just thinking about the world or thinking about things I care about. And then yeah. those grow at gigs. I try and push it harder each gig. I then like glue different things together or like work with a director who might suggest reordering things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that, that like Boris Johnson bit had like ended up having like four or five jokes. There was like a moment in Edinburgh 2018, which like 
it all and then it sort of it mocked myself as well as mocking him and mocked a kind of few different things and I thought thought was quite good but like it never started out with that plan and it was like it only became obvious to glue it in that particular way after like a lot of trial and error basically yeah and what so that you find that on stage you kind of almost restructuring and rewriting while you're on stage in front of an audience yeah, I think so. We're just trying to like, I, I do, uh, like there, there is something lazy about doing that. And I think that's like, I'll hold my hand up and be like, I, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I sort of claim that I find it much easier to write on stage in the sense of like, I need that final rush of adrenaline to make my brain that like, it's, you know, it's not a drill anymore. Yeah. It's like, I've got to like stretch my comedic muscles to find that punch, like that extra, might not even be an extra thing, but it'd just be like a tiny little extra way of, rhythm or phrasing or even just yeah. saying something in a slightly silly way it's certainly fair to say like editing has to happen on stage mm. you know like at the weekend you know i was doing a little five minutes of new and i got a laugh off one bit where i was talking about how uh friend my friend j level at the top of my cv probably <laughs> doesn't need to be included anymore because it's not doing any heavy lifting <laughs> and i got an, a, a nice little laugh off that little bit but i'd also written then pretty much the same joke but just about my english literature result and it got nothing immediately afterwards and performing that on stage it kind of made me think oh okay so i just need to remove that bit and just stick with the french thing mm. but like edit because editing sort of has to happen in front of an audience because that's the only way you know if something's going to work isn't it yeah and it's just like i do think that's i do think that's one thing that changes so like i think one of the things What's true, this is true to say, you could be have done comedy for 30 years and you could come up with something that you think is brilliant and you could walk on stage and it gets nothing. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, like, and it may never get anything. Like it was literally, hey, is it just me? And like, yeah, it was just you, you weirdo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like no one else thinks like this. This is, you've gone too far. The best stand-up comedy is something super weird and dark. Well, not necessarily dark, but super particular and strange that actually if articulated the right way, everyone resonates to, but never thought resonates with and, and everyone uh, no, but no one had the courage to articulate it yeah, in that way. Yeah. But everyone's like, oh yeah. Whereas like sometimes it's like, no, you broken person, <laughs> you strange, <laughs> weird person. No one relates to this. But I think it happens. You do just get better. Like your, your hit rate in that first time of testing something just goes up. Mm-hmm. Like you just, yeah. you just start to think in a way of being like, oh, is this, uh, like if you, I think it's true with obviously the better you get, that's true as well. But I think just the longer you do it, the more that you can visualize and, and work out whether something will work, Yeah, you know, yeah, but I'm definitely. also like, I'm, I'm very like optimistic in that. Like if anything's like shiny or interesting, I'm always like, oh, that will, it's just your choice about whether that's a thing you want to focus on. Like when I'm talking to mates who are comedians or whatever, uh, I'm very like, oh, you should do that. That's really because I just think like, yeah, that, that, that lots of quite small things can be quite shiny. And if you choose and even like dark and sad things are just be like, oh, that's such an interesting insight. If you choose to present it, if you, yeah. if you choose to present it comedically, that will definitely work if you if you wish to. Well, that's that's really interesting. Like that leads me to something uh, that I've seen you talk about a few times on stage. The first time I remember seeing you was at, uh, I think it was the Jericho 2017 gala at the old fire station. Oh, fun. When you were on with Ivo and uh, Rachel Paris and James Acaster. Oh, what a game. Ken Chang. It was such a ridiculously good lineup that night. Yeah. Chelsea Berkby was on. Um, like, it was it was phenomenal. But you were talking about uh, your mental health and you were talking about, uh, like, politically related depression. <laughs> and it's something you pick up again. Funny enough, the way politics has gone, isn't it interesting that it just didn't disappear <laughs> after 2017? Yeah. But you talked about it again in last year's show. How difficult is it uh, to find the funny in something that feels so terrible? Do you mean do you mean politics or mental health or both? Kind of both, really. Um, yeah, both. Because like I have never written anything about mental health stuff, and like I I've had depression and lived with depression for a few years and like i missed months of work at a point like it was Mm. really really bad but i've never been brave enough to try to mine into that because i think it would just make me too sad but you do it so well and you find the funny in it but how challenging is that yeah well i mean i think first uh, i think one thing i think to be honest one of the main 
things that I'm that, that, that makes me anxious or nervous or reticent about doing too much mental health stuff is that I think that like I suppose just trying to work out exactly what my own relationship with my mental health is that I I don't want I don't want to be sort of monetizing or wep or sort of comedifying or commodifying something which I'm not quite 100% of what my relationship with it and whether I'm like cosplaying mm -hmm. as as like someone who you know yeah I, I'm not I, what, but like my you know everyone's mental health is complicated I know I had like a I definitely had like a weird situation last Edinburgh where I was just like I just felt like I had the the up phase of 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 a like bipolar situation and then i had the down the down that i had afterwards was just nowhere near as accent as, as as accentuated as the up so in a way mm -hmm. i was just like bizarrely fortunate in a strange yeah. way but it was like <laughs> i i know that my brain chemistry was very different than it's ever been in my life for that one month it was bizarre and like mm. i'm i'm just sort of almost surprised i didn't have the, cons the the quite the same level of down afterwards but um what a what a serious answer that does <laughs> the, 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 i guess what i guess what i mean is it's just like i think i'm aware of people in the industry who've had like more significant issues uh, in that regard than me and i would be like reticent as like to like i i don't think i've had quite the same issues so i wouldn't yeah. want to but like yeah. i think you still like, talk you still talk about your own situation but yeah um, like i know what you mean um I, I think that everybody always thinks like someone's had it worse so i shouldn't really grumble mm -hmm. about it but i think that everybody's experiences are relevant like i mean yeah uh, i i do a bit of stuff with the movember charity I, i'm a community ambassador for them and i remember a couple of years ago, I was sat on a panel discussion and I was there with like one of the world's leading uh, testicular cancer researchers. Uh, I was uh, the head of Movember was there, the CEO of Movember, uh, testicular cancer survivor, a prostate cancer survivor, and then me. And like my thing was sometimes I'm sad. <laughs> like I felt so out of my depth for that conversation. But I think just talking about it and like, you know, everything's relative, you know, mm. yeah, it's it's not as serious as a cancer diagnosis, but I still felt really bad. And I think talking about it does help people. And I think that you definitely find a way in your comedy to talk about it in a way that didn't make you at all sound like you're feeling overly sorry for yourself or saying, woe is me or anything. But you, you certainly find the funny in it. And I think when I see comedians like you and like Chelsea Burke talks so amazingly about she, yeah she's so on good stage. On that. she's one of my favorite comedians to watch talking and and that's like minefield of an area um but it's such a skill set i mean it's, it's such an amazing thing and on the politics side of things i guess i i don't know whether it makes you feel kind of more sad or angry or a combination of both but is is anger a useful writing tool for you yeah yeah it definitely is um uh, sorry, I'm still thinking, still thinking about the mental health. So the I'm just wondering whether to the, there's um, I uh, it's it's just sort of I suppose the one thing to to tag on to the end of that conversation. It's just so interesting. It's just like, I guess it's just like, yeah, you just you, the, I guess the audience want to feel. It's really tricky. I suppose the audience just also want to fundamentally feel that you feel comfortable talking about that subject on stage. Yeah, yeah. And then it it almost doesn't matter which way you do how you express that comfort because sometimes you could you could it could be done in quite a dark way where it's self-evident that you're you're sort of still living through that situation. Mm -hmm. But one of the ways you can either project comfort by just those obvious like almost non-verbal communication elements of like how you how you conduct yourself on stage, like what you feel and vibe like and the audience like, "Oh, okay, this person's like this that you know Dealing i'm I'm, yeah, I'm allowed yeah. to laugh at this thing because they seem very relaxed about this thing yeah, yeah or yeah. you can be like not you know you can be in like a slightly more stressful place about it but if you're i suppose if your jokes are really you know if you're mischievous about it and if your jokes are really good like the other way you can show the audience that they can relax is just because if the jokes are really good on it then th that's sort of a way of projecting that you are in control, I guess of the or not in control. It's so oh, 
So, um, but no, I I know what you mean that you've you've reached a point with it where you're comfortable talking about it. Yes, that's a much better way of phrasing it than I. <laughs> and like you're giving them permission to to kind of laugh at it because you've thought of these really good jokes on it. Yeah, exactly. Those are the different, you know, and it's some combo. It's some combo of both. Like, a, you know, and that's still those are the two facets of performing, aren't they? Like you, how you are on stage and what your material is, and like mm-hmm. you can get away with being amazing at one and not very good at the other but obviously like even just being you know anyway um the anger <laughs> the anger sorry i just i just thought i wanted to know that, that's, the anger, the anger that's super interesting. interesting um yeah i think so i think like i'm yeah i think it, i think it's definitely useful you want it's like i think political comedy's point first joke second and i think some of the like some of the some of the you know some political comedy i don't like is maybe focused on the kind of really obvious joke about a personal situation it's like you know i don't i don't care that donald trump's looks a bit funny and i don't care that his hair looks a bit weird or he's a bit orange looking (laughs) and even that he's like even that he's stupid is not you know that's a bit more relevant because like someone that sort of stupid you know, and that's not even his worst character flaw, but like, obviously, like he shouldn't be president. But yeah. like, like it's still not very comedically interesting to say that he's thick. It's like, yeah, we sort of know that. Um, you can go then more specific if you find specific where I like. I do, you know, I think a more nuanced one is it's like, yeah, he's thick, but why did he win, and what what is it that like, what what's actually he does have some political savvy. And like the, yeah. you know, it's like I want his opponents. I think good comedy should be pointing correctly to the elements of his savvy that allowed him to win, mm. and 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 then like avoid that allows you know the left to maybe avoid some of the mistakes made previously that allowed him to win and how they deal with him. Yeah, that's really really interesting. It's because uh, a lot of people like when something like that happens, like Brexit and trump and even you know i guess to a lesser extent although not much lesser boris johnson like people think oh it's the golden age of satire like the jokes write themselves but they really don't no because everyone's saying and noticing the same things and also like even the axios interview that went out yesterday with trump like he wrote that material himself we can't make (laughs) that funnier can we like no and I don't, you know, I think, yeah, there's not much that I've been like, I think, yeah, Trump just got quite boring to me quite a while ago. And like, mm-hmm. I can't think of, I can't think of any jokes about Trump that I've come up with in the last like two years now, for instance, that I like yeah, really like yeah. enough or care enough to talk about on stage. Um, Do you get excited by like the the next three months, the, the sort of the the race, like, Biden offer you much material or is, is it Maybe. just something that you're not really engaged with? I, I mean, I did sort of quite a sort of slightly unfair well, slightly mean joke about him the other night, just about like them both being, I mean, I do think it's a bit of a shame in this moment that, you know, the Democrat, it would have been nicer for the Democrat running against Trump to be younger than him, to not look like him, to not, you know, just to be, it would be nice for a different face of America. It's yeah. just a bit of a shame that it's just like a straight white guy, the same age as him, who's been in politics for as long as him. He's not a new face. And it's like, but, you know, so, so, yeah. And I would like someone further to the left than Biden, but it's also just like he, you know, the, the, as much as very unreconciled pro Bernie people would say that, that Biden is like, is he really any better than the Republicans? It's like, no, it's still like just on what it sets out. Biden's program is as radical as any nominee ever. Mm-hmm. It's just that that bar maybe isn't particularly high, but like it is, you know, it's, it's better. It's just maybe on climate and stuff, the world's moved in an even worse way that being better than Hillary in 2016 is still not good enough fine i accept that but it's like when people talk about him being like it's just like this definitely is not the year to go and spoil your vote and vote green party for instance like it just (laughs) isn't like he just is a better i mean i obviously you know yeah uh, like yeah i really i really hope he wins 
and I think he yeah, will, and I think yeah. and I think he will win. Like I think that he has like some blunt arguments about his own electability, and you know, some of some of the like quiet parts said loud would basically be like part of Biden's gamble is like Rust Belt states, and then also just him basically whispering outside of his mouth, being like, "Come on, you know, you could run this." You know, him him just saying. <laughs> There's a bunch of sexists who didn't vote Democrat in 2016 who will now vote for me. Is like the implication, and yeah, it's like it's yeah. a real shame that that's the case. And I'd rather the Democrats just run an Elizabeth Warren or whatever run, you know. Yeah. But like, I suppose that the sexism of elements of the American electorate is now not going to be as clearly targeted at the Democrat Party, which is at least electorally, if not morally, good for the Democrats. <laughs> It's just, like, you just wish things were easier. Like, I mean, there's a parallel universe somewhere where there is a progressive female candidate running in the States. Coronavirus doesn't exist, and we're all, like, gigging five nights a week. Like, yeah, that, yeah. That's the dream. Yeah, like, exactly. This is just the darkest timeline, and we just have to make our peace with that. Well, think about <laughs> think about a different Think about a different universe. The current universe is that, what, there are some days when Jez... Jeff Bezos, Jez Bezos, imagine, sorry, Jeff Be <laughs> Jez to his friends, Bezos Jez. playing the maracas like Bez. Um, the, so <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Bezos, there's been some days that the amount of additional, the amount of his fortune has grown has been in like one day, his fortune has grown by like $15 billion, like his personal Jesus. fortune. Uh, and it's just like, so... Yeah, so a par parallel universe, non-corona, Elizabeth Warren nominated world say is that like, yeah, maybe Amazon gets broken up or at least Elizabeth Warren claims that she wants to break Amazon up. So like in one universe, we have like the end of this like monopoly that fundamentally can't be a good thing. Like even yeah, a, yeah. even a, even a hyper-capitalist can't really long-term, this uh, monopoly isn't a good thing. Um, and instead, we don't have that. We have Biden running and we've got Amazon using coronavirus to because it's the like death of elements of the high street and amazon just absolutely cleaning up so it's like <laughs> <laughs> oh man well maybe also in this in this kind of parallel universe as you mentioned earlier today would be day one of the fringe so mm. in this parallel universe what were your plans for edinburgh this summer what were you hoping to bring up um well it was it would have been a show about that i mean i'm staring at my you know on my table there are 15 ish books about silicon valley about half of which i've read oh, i think wow. i slowed down in how much i was reading them when corona hit it's like <laughs> what what i'm just gonna read this what for my own personal betterment rather than the ability <laughs> to be able to monetize it in the form of a show um no so but yeah i read a, you know i wanted to do a show just about silicon valley there was a little cheat code where i'd be able to also talk about my own personal life and kind of use a, a breakup and join those together and i think that would have worked structurally and allowed me to do some more kind of fun personal routines but mostly mm. i'd want the show to be about yeah just the advertising model the addiction model that silicon valley uses that they deliberately construct their products like casino products by injecting uh variants and uh variable outcomes like a one-armed bandit does machine does in a casino and so like mm. yeah monopolies advertising addiction um and there was another larger theme within that i'm trying to remember for books but yeah just like yeah just 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 yeah just pretty anti a lot of these <laughs> companies and how they like have just yeah yeah they just use monopoly and market share and and, and like a lot of the creative industries some people have benefited but basically if you just look at market shares like a whole bunch of these companies like google and like facebook have just mm -hmm. taken all of this revenue that used to go more directly to creators and yeah, have yeah. just and have just and that's their the market capitalization of a lot of those companies just comes from you know face facebook and these companies like facebook so much of its content relies on traditional old media generated content right that it's like people sharing guardian articles new york times articles on facebook say yeah or yeah. other other places and then those places don't really get any of the revenue from it and facebook gets the eyeballs on it and you know even facebook sets up ways where you don't really even leave the site when you read it and so all of the like money is just pivoted 
away yeah. from the people that have actually created the content that people are genuinely valuing and facebook is just like a vessel for consuming that content but facebook has captured the revenue from that content in a quite like unfair way predicated basically on it being like a monopoly that it's like yeah and then how do you make that funny <laughs> well, that, that, <laughs> that was sort of what i was gonna say like going back to what i asked you about earlier like finding the funny in stuff that's just horrible because that is soul destroying <laughs> in theory yeah but if anybody can make it funny i have absolutely no doubt that you can you can find the funny in that how far along were you with writing the show and kind of getting to a point where you had something ready well yeah so i I think at the end of the day for me you know for me personally in my own shows it's not maybe the end of the world that edinburgh 2020 didn't happen like i had a really good i was really happy with the offer and the room and the time that i had like that was already set up nicely but there was a big bit of me in like january 2020 where i was thinking oh maybe i just won't do it this year i've been i've done four solo shows in a row and i did i've done most of the years before that and so I've had, I haven't had a year off and maybe mm. I'm not going to be able to like, you know, I, I, maybe it'd be better to take a year off and bring a really good show to 2021. Yeah, yeah. And I think all of that stuff that I've just been talking about is going to continue to be relevant. I don't think Corona is going to change the dynamic. And if anything, it's going to accentuate some of those dynamics. We just do have, you know, again, on like the high, if it's about the high street for Amazon and about like publishing for Facebook, say that those are the industries that the trad industries that they are decimating well both of those things have been accentuated you've got the guardian cutting like a third of its workforce you've got uh you've got all these high street shops that are going to go out of business if corona and social distancing means that they can't operate and then amazon are just going to absolutely eat that up so like those trends are only going to be exacerbated so i think the show will still be relevant uh, I, I wasn't that f- like, you know, it was in that, you know, March is a very stressful, like my, my preview just before <laughs> lockdown was like, oh God, it's five, less than five months to go. And I've probably got about, I've got about seven minutes of jokes on a subject I want to talk about. And then another 20, 25 minutes about like, wow, 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 I've had a breakup. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, wow, 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 it's eight months after my breakup. I shouldn't be talking about it as much on stage. Well, obviously that's how your brain works. Um, so, um, so, so yeah, maybe some aspects of the show might be different by summer 2020. Yeah, I know. Or genuinely, maybe you'll still be genuinely, talking about the breakup. Genuinely, my own emotional healing, like, like that's that that would be annoying. I think Edinburgh 2020, Edinburgh 2019 was too close where I had a breakup two days before the fringe and like made some good material out of it, but it was so close to it that I hadn't really I'd only half squeezed the orange. Whereas yeah, now yeah. 2020 would have been perfect. It'd be, I'd have been broken enough for six months of writing to have like had the emotional experiences to generate comedy and then six <laughs> months to like tie that up in a bow and make it good on stage. Whereas now I just, you know, I just don't care about that breakup anymore and you know i don't have the requisite <laughs> i'm too happy about you know i'm too not even happy i was happy but too settled yeah uh, so yeah. so i'm not going to have the traumatic energy to be able to create all that you personal don't drudge it all up again yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i have to you know i'll i'll find out but you know there are too many fun concepts but like you miss that you, you know there's a fun element of like genuine manic energy at that time which like now is not there because it's just like mm-hmm. well i didn't just you can walk on stage and lie and be like, oh, well, she just, and, you know, God knows I've done that a lot in my time, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, you know, it's just not as in, it's not quite as interesting. I still probably would make that the structure of the show a bit, but like maybe I wouldn't. It depends. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing that, I mean, I guess now you've got 11 months really to, to figure out how I you know. feel about it. Um, how do I, you know, how do I, how do I in a time of social distancing you know, I've got to, you know, on the Edinburgh timeline, I've got to get in a relationship quite soon so that we can get close enough to each other for eight months that the breakup would be meaningful <laughs> to allow me to generate the interesting, depressive, comedic experiences. So, you know, anyone, please, my DMs are open. If you want to get involved for us to get very close for about six months and then it just all fall apart so that I can create comedy. Just... And you would understand, of course, that it is absolutely not you. It's Alex. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're great. I'm broken. <laughs> great. Yeah, take. No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually lovely. But um, the... the... <laughs>
Ah, oh, brilliant. Alex, there's so much more I, I, I could ask you about, but uh, it seems quite prescient now that we're going to go to a clip from our lovely charity partner, Oxfordshire Mind. Great. To talk about a bit of mental health resources. So here they are, Oxfordshire Mind. Oxford Safe Haven is open on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday evening from 6 till 10pm. The phone lines are open from 5 and the last booking is at 9pm. To refer yourself to Oxford Safe Haven, just give us a call on 01865 903037. To find out more, search for Oxford Safe Haven online. Okay, Alex, now it's time for a game called Pressing Questions. This is the part of the podcast you thought that the first part was an intense interrogation. You ain't seen nothing yet. These are <laughs> difficult questions. And all I need from you is openness, a little hint of vulnerability, and just some honest answers. Can you do that for me? Uh, worryingly, yes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> all right, here we go. Alex, what's the worst job you've ever had? Oh, um, uh, I've not had enough of them. <laughs> I've not had enough of them. I would say, um, I don't know, probably there was some like moderately soulless like content marketing I had to do, which meant that you had to change, you type things up that purported to be blogs, but were really sort of like fed by like corporate algorithms to get more people to click on like oh. a shop website. And so you had to be like, hey, this winter, um, when the log fires are a, a crunkling and the, you need with the, you should go and buy this rug. But you did in like an anecdotally way that would work on and, and like, so that's like, you know, if you want to, yeah, I just think a lot of, that's why editing and publishing seems to be like a tricky industry where it's like a lot of people are like, I just love books. And it's like, cool, help us sell this rug. <laughs> like, like, it's... it's <laughs> Yeah, people's love of the written word doesn't always extend yeah, yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you loved Dickens, you'll love selling this lamp. Yeah. <laughs> that that sounds uh kind of sounds like an interesting writing challenge, but also does sound a bit soul crushing. Yeah. The nice co <laughs> nice colleagues, nothing against nothing against the particular just against the concept, not against the particular <laughs> company that was employing me. Excellent. That's a nice way to cover your back in case Absolutely. you ever need to go back Absolutely. To I don't know if you've seen the state of the world economy, but I will not be closing <laughs> any doors behind me. <laughs> Alex, I think I know this after Saturday night, but maybe I'm wrong. Where is your happy place? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's on stage. It's, it's, it's on stage, and it's... Um, uh, yes. It's... Is there any particular stage... You don't even have to say Jericho comedy for this. Oh well, Jericho, Jericho would absolutely be up there. I, th I mean, I mean the, I think, uh, yeah, it's probably my happy place is, uh, at not just after walking off stage and having a pint with a friend who's come to see my show at the Edinburgh Fringe. Ah, that's nice. That's a very happy place. So I'm, allowed to, I'm allowed to drink at that point. The hour show's done. And three weeks to go. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry, that that was a real unnecessary diner no, to throw but, in well, there. No, but that's not, you know, we know t t we know time is absolutely an illusion. In this moment of coronavirus, it both feels like we've been in lockdown for eight years and also nine minutes. Like, it's not. It yeah. doesn't, it flux. It's, it's so mad, flux. isn't it, that we're in August already, but 2020 hasn't happened yet. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. We've not had any time yet. It's so weird. Well, it's like all, you know how like football team, you know if that like football teams win a cup, but it's like because five people got sent off on the other team and they'll put like a little, or like someone got a transfer ban or something, they'll put a little asterisk on Wikipedia being like, yeah, it was a win, but was it a win? And then they'll have like extenuating reasons <laughs> yeah. being like, oh, because of the because of the Chernobyl disaster, it meant that all of the playing fields in the Ukraine were seeded. They were meant to play Dynamo Kiev that year, but then they couldn't. So uh, that meant that they would by default move to the quarterfinals finals of the european cup like that's what that's what 2020 is for all of our lives i think i think that's a very apt analogy alex keely what does your name mean 
Oh, what? Okay, so Keeley is a surname. It, people peg me occasionally for Irish, but it's misspelt. It's like a, I think I think it's a name change because of some very minor, sort of quite bourgeois middle classy scandal at some point in one side <laughs> of my family tree. So like, I think of the level of like a vicar running off with a with a parishioner or something this and then brilliant. Like, i really want to see your episode of who do you think you are i know yeah we imagine if it imagine if it comes out as much, <laughs> that it's actually much stronger than that but yeah my impression it's like a a mild family scandal meant and then i think it's that like after they changed their surname to distance them so it wasn't like the vicar being like hey the Zorro has to take on a new name as he rides off into the, <laughs> like, I think it was like, oh, no, they'll know that, okay, we are uh, uh, Keely, Keely, that's who we are now. Um, <laughs> I think, but I maybe, you know, I'll probably get an angry letter from my dad saying that that's not quite what happened. <laughs> no, an angry, a loving WhatsApp. That's what, that's, we've moved into the 21st century. Um, and then Alex is strong defender, isn't it? Greek, is Alex strong defender? Yes, I believe so from... Uh... With Alex Farrow's comedy, you're, if you're not laughing, you're learning. Is <laughs> and we've all learned what Alex means. <laughs> Alex, would you rather have three legs or three arms? Ooh. Am I now? Is this like a from birth thing where I'm very used to and like I've built up a rhythm on this thing throughout my life or I'm suddenly I wake up and I'm like, oh, what did I get up to last? I've got such a hang of. Oh, my God. Yes, of course. The third arm that I, I forgot that I agreed. Like, so am I'm I happy to get used to it? something closer to the latter, a kind of like... Uh congratulations you've won a bionic limb right in a box of cereal type thing <laughs> you can have either an arm or a leg so it's absolutely got to be arm then because i think the leg is going you're gonna have to relearn how to oh that's you're gonna have to relearn how to walk and run and like 5ks have been very important for my mental health this lockdown i'm very pleased <laughs> with the times i've got to and again on Strava, I don't know if I could add the asterisk saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I know it's twenty-seven, and, I know it's twenty-seven minutes and thirty, but I'm half man, half horse now. Or like I'm a full man plus a quarter horse now. And so I, I think that people need to, uh, to, to view that five k appropriately. So yeah, so arms. I just think you're not. I think arms. It's mostly pros and not cons. Like yeah. not not loads. But where of pros. would it be? Like, I think my like... two are doing fine, to be honest. Like I don't <laughs> think there's loads extra that that I get with, and it's a, still a bit like it must be uncomfortable. If it's like poking out my back and I can't sit down properly, like where's it coming out from? My chest. Well, that that's the big question. Do you end up kind of lopsided with two on your right, mm. two on your left, one out of your chest or something? <laughs> that's got to make life difficult. I think like... the chest because I think the chest thing is a, there's a real aesthetic. Like, it's like, oh, I don't have a six pack, but you'll get a high five from like, I think that's grim. <laughs> I think that's not like, you know, I don't want to get like superficial about things, but I think I'm like, you know, I don't think many people are going to be DMing me if I've got a weird third arm or at least like, I don't trust the sort of moderate fetishization that that almost would be, I think. Um, the So I suppose it's got to be a second arm coming out of my left armpit interesting why le are you left-handed no i just want to be double yeah i i don't know i just think i want a normal i could sort of imagine i want my right hand side because i still I, yeah i want my right hand side to be the the traditional <laughs> do you not think oh yeah because i guess you can still use the third arm like it'd be quite handy you know you're holding a mic in one hand Oh, You've that'd be great got a spare hand to still talk with your hand and then one to pick up a glass oh. of water mid-set Yes, please. And sure, sure, sure. You know how you know how loads of comedians will have a like, I know what you're thinking. It looks like <laughs> da, da, da. Whereas like obviously with me, if I've got three arms, it's like, well, I can't my opening line of my set is always going to have to address the audience being like, hang on, like and don't I don't wanna I don't know if we're allowed to say this these days, but he does seem to have fifty percent more arms than than, than we're used to. And so, yeah, your opening joke is always going to have to deal with that particularity, isn't it? So yeah. but as long as you write a cracker, then great. The audience are into it. He's explained his third arm, but we hope his whole set isn't about it. He's referenced it. Great. But come on, we want to talk about other things. <laughs> but it would be so tiring to have to keep coming up with a fresh bit for it. Yeah. Like, because if you're still dining out on the same opener, like after four years... 
people might be like, yeah, we've heard that arm gag before. Give us some more. Yeah, it's like, it's like, so like Simon Evans has that like amazing opening where he comes out and he like uh, squints the audience and he goes like, I know a lot, I know what a lot of you are thinking. Um, and, you know, <laughs> nice chap, but what, what, what the hell's he done with his eyes? And it's just like such a great like zoom out of like how like, you know, narrow furrowed he can be when he chooses yeah, to be. Yeah. But it's like, he doesn't have to do that. Like he could come out on stage and not squint. <laughs> And like not accentuate that. And he just, as I've seen him, just do the beginning of a set. Whereas third arm, you can't be like, oh, not the th <laughs> like, like it's, it's, it, it has got to be, there's going to be weird energy in the room if you don't address it. <laughs> it would be such a ballsy set to just come out and not talk about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I've <laughs> had a break in the what's, room. What's, what's the deal with your weird everyone? arm, mate? Someone hackles from the back. <laughs> Alex, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Oh man, this is no. The, I, I love the, <laughs> the old exam question answer. I don't know. Um, oh, like have you ever worn a hat at a particularly jaunty angle? Okay, or... right. I mean, I would say. <laughs> look, I mean, I would say a number of my fashion decisions, if we're doing that, could be classified as bravery. <laughs> but like, only if I was self-aware. I was just like oh, cool dude wearing a cool thing. And I'd be like wearing a like green leather jacket with two frills to, with like two, it had two neck frills and I bought it and then was it was christened algae by some of my inverted commas friends. Uh, and uh, it completely destroyed my confidence in both, I would say that item of clothing and indeed all clothes for a while. Um, and that was your famous nude period. Yeah, 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 exactly. I would have said that was your bravest decision, but this must have been a dreadful jacket. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I was like, look, this nude, is, it's epiphenomenal of another braver decision that I did. But this really is just a secondary feature of a much braver initial. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, uh, we really wish we were able to get back to one of our great venues like Jericho Cafe or common ground or jericho tavern putting on awesome live shows but obviously that's not possible at the moment we've been having a great time with our outdoor shows and our drive-in shows but if you feel like you need to be back in a cafe basement on a saturday night we understand so sit back grab yourself a drink close your eyes and enjoy a set from the fantastic alex keely recorded live at jericho comedy <laughs>
no, 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 tasty was better. I want tasty. <laughs> How are your children doing? Alive, like it's not as good in that world. And sort of base, base legal men there. Um, <laughs> uh, he, so the entire Conservative leadership uh, campaign has been, um, uh, has just been a succession of 11 ghouls where nine of the ghouls admitted to doing hard drugs in their in their youth. Um, Boris uh, admitted to doing cocaine, but he said that he sneezed when he did <laughs> As if that makes it any better. Doesn't make it doesn't make it any better, right? By saying that, what he's he's not said, oh I didn't do drugs, he said, oh I couldn't do drugs, right? I was, I was incapable of I tried to be bad, but I wasn't logistically capable of doing that, right? They're like one thing that's a, that's worse, right? The one thing worse than a murderer is an attempted murderer, right? That's what that's what Boris Johnson is, right? Boris Johnson is a man strangling a child, but both of his hands are going the same direction, leaving the fundamentally unimpaired, right? Boris Johnson is a man pulling a gun out, pulling the trigger, and then looking genuinely devastated when a small flag with the word emerges because he packed the wrong. He tried to kill you, but it didn't didn't work out that day. The, the ambition was there. Um, I am. Um, also, with, sne like with the sneezing thing, I've got this thing about, uh, that I think there's like, you can tell how polite someone is from their, their, how they sneeze. I th and I think the, the rudest approach to sneezing is when you sneeze and you don't cover your mouth in any way and you just kind of go like that, like a kind of Christ the Redeemer style. <laughs> really the nearest statue of sort of sneezing everywhere. That's the worst. Then quite bad off that is when you sneeze into your hand and then wipe your hand on your, that's pretty bad. That's not good. That's not a good one. And then just above that is when you sneeze into your hands and then you go immediately to the toilet and open up every door with your like, elbows like a sort of hygienic chicken, right? That's the like that's, that's pretty good. But then the best, the most hygienic, the like the most polite you can be when you sneeze. You feel a sneeze coming on, and maybe you're like at the opera or something, and you're about to sneeze, and then you just go and then just send it back. So like, the sneeze still happens, but you just it's internally happened, and you just sneeze. You send a hundred mile an hour gust into your own brain. And it feels like you punch yourself in the head, right? Like I've never, I've regretted, I've done it four times in my life and I regret it every time because no work of art is good enough for punching yourself in the head, right? And weirdly, you're almost like, yeah, sometimes the, the <laughs> honestly more annoying than a sneeze is someone going like, <laughs> and then you're just like, just do it, just do it, just do it. Um, I'm not a big, uh, I'm not a big drugs uh, uh, person. Myself, I remember I was quite pleased when I was, uh, when I was about five, I learned the difference between the two different types of like drug, like illegal party drugs and like legal medical drugs. And I remember being so proud of that that I swam into my parents' living room and was like, Mum, Dad, I decided when I'm older, I'm never gonna do any drugs except for, and I didn't know what this was, Viagra. <laughs> 10 years away from puberty, still very much worried about future bona fatigue in my life. That's always, that's always good, bit of a weird existential child. Uh, here, um, uh, I wouldn't do cocaine uh, for the ethical reason that it helps fund a kind of brutal international drug war. I'm, I'm worried that it's actually because I'm too scared to put anything on my nose. I think the actual, <laughs> the actual answer is not the ethical one, but it's a general fear of all unknown things. And if, if beer were a snortable powder and cocaine were a drink, I would be a coke addict, right? That's the, that's the actual truth is that way around. It should be the drug war reason, right? El Chapo, he's just been finally like imprisoned again for, for life. But at the beginning of the second trial that he had this year, he made a statement at the beginning where he promised that this time he wouldn't have any of the jury killed. <laughs> Which you should not be able to say that. that is, you, legally, you should not be able to say that sentence without at least ending it with mwa ha ha right? That's how, if you end it that way, that's kosher, that's fine. <laughs> Now, Alex, you know that here at Jericho Comedy, we try to be a helpful bunch. You know, we care about our acts and our audiences. And if there's anything we could do for them, we always try. And with that in mind, some of our audience occasionally get in touch to ask if, if we can help them with their problems. So would you mind helping them out in our Agony Ant segment? Of course. I'm, I'm here for Fantastic. Them. Thank you so much. So our first message comes in from Frodo from the Undying Lands. A long right. time ago, I was offered immortality and the opportunity to live forever with elves and an elderly wizard friend. My life used to be quite adventurous, but now I'm bored. Eternity takes forever. How do I pass the time? Alex, what's your take on that? 
Well, so firstly, I think we can all sympathize at this moment with time dragging <laughs> and, you know, casting our minds back to significantly more adventurous times in our in our lives <laughs> when we could do things like go outdoors or go on a, a year long quest. Um, uh, I think, you know, do they what subscription services do they have in the Undying Lands? Can they get can they, you know, improve the, the Wi-Fi situation? I think that's. That's been a help. If they can do any, if he can do any group um, Palantir calls with his, uh, you know, with with his friends, that that really like helps with the loneliness. I think so. Perhaps some pub quizzes on Zoom. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, Zoom reaches the Undying Lands. Yeah, I think they were there. The the beta the beta testing beta testing the the new one. <laughs> Well, there we go, Frodo. I hope that helps. Uh, we've got another message here. I've spent what feels like forever pushing a rock up a hill only for the rock to roll back down the hill when I near the top. It's exhausting and all my efforts seem futile. I honestly don't know why I bother. Do you have any recommendations for getting a rock to stay at the top of a hill? That comes in from Sisyphus. Great. Oh, my God. Um, I, uh, Just any think... practical tips on rocks. This is really in your wheelhouse, Alex. <laughs> uh, I suppose has he tried? Has he tried um, breaking the rock into smaller pieces? That's smart. That would. It's stop. almost amazing that that hasn't happened. He says that the rock keeps rolling back down the hill on the other side. Yeah. So how this rock has stayed intact for so long is a bit of a mystery to me. <laughs> I don't. I mean. Yeah, but something in him compels him to keep moving up the hill each day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who knows what it is, but I think that's a good and helpful piece of advice. Just break the rock. Or so. maybe seek help, Sisyphus. Like this is another thing. Like speak to someone. I you don't if have he's to keep if he's being this. like overseen by a collection of um a collection of gods having some of the same uh, characteristics as mischievous and flawed humans, perhaps that wish to punish him. Um, I would suggest that perhaps if you break the rock down into small chunks and then store it in some kind of trouser mechanism and then scatter it on the top of the hill <laughs> when the gods aren't looking much like in the Great Escape, I think that could be a good <laughs> strategy for technically, you know, achieving this feat and then them not I think noticing. You've just discovered a loophole. Yeah, I think so. Sisyphus you've got to be, be really, you know, that he spent so long doing this. When there's got to be some centaurs smearing some shit with blood and stuff somewhere for them to be distracted <laughs> by. <laughs> really, our our final message comes in from Friar Lawrence in Barona. He says, "A few years ago, I set in motion a series of events that resulted in the deaths of two star-crossed teenage lovers. However, some good came of it, as their previously feuding families now live in relative peace." Do you think the end justifies the means? And should I free myself of the guilt I've been feeling about the deaths of these two young people? It's a complicated question. So, yeah, I think I think I think he should free the guilt because it's um, so it's uh, I think when your partner uh, turns out to be dead, um, <laughs> don't immediately kill yourself. Don't immediately, and not even, not even just for the like. Uh oh, what if it was a twelve-hour poison loophole? Uh, like sleep, um, sleeping draft to the max. We've all been having sleepless nights in lockdown. You know, we've got to get chow down some of that shit that Juliet got. The, uh, uh, you just, I just think it's rude because there are other additional. You know, if you are their partner, and they're going to have a funeral, you're an important moment of that grieving process. And I think so you know, try, just ha you know. Take take an extra twenty four hours, do some of those rites, yeah. and and be bonded with the with your both your friends and their friends. And so I think if if if, if you know if 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 Romeo had done that and waited, then um you know we'd be uh, we'd be in a better better situation there. So I don't That's think so you know true. not necessarily to fault them because we've all had those intense four day relationships as teenagers, <laughs> you know. I think that's something that is that how long it is cano canonically in in the in the play? Is it four days? My understanding from from the additional material that Fry Lawrence has sent through is that yes, four <laughs> days after they started going out, this is what happened. So yeah, I think we can both agree that's not necessarily on Friar Lawrence. There was a depth of feeling there after four days that 
One can only imagine what would have happened if they'd both stayed alive for eight days. Yeah. Oh, she was meant to be back from the shops now. It's it's 20 past 10 <laughs> rather than 10 past 10. Right. Bye, world. Bye, cruel world. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, there we go for our Lawrence. Hopefully that helps. Uh, <laughs> Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. If we want to check out all things Alex Keeley, uh, I can certainly recommend your brilliant show that's available on Next Up. Thank Do you have you. anything else that you would like to to point us towards for the full Alex Keeley experience? Yeah, that's the main. I guess like if you use Twitter, uh, so I'm twitter.com forward slash Alex Keeley, K-E-A-L-Y. And then on there is a link to the, the next up show. I've also got a mailing list on my website, which you can find off the Twitter. Just go to my Twitter. If you're interested, go to the Twitter and then either follow me on there or, or use that to click to other me related stuff. Fantastic. Well, we will put links in the episode description for your Twitter and the show on Next Up. Uh, Alex, thank you so much. And now that gigs are kind of back, I hope I get to see you again at a lovely Jericho comedy show very, very soon. Same. And go. Listeners, if you've not been, you must have been. You've got to go. They're actually making outdoor gigs work, and it's so fun. You should go. Fun and safe and a necessary. Thank you so much. You're doing the salesmanship that really is the representative of Jericho Comic here. I should be doing, but I'm glad one of us has that experience and kind of write and copy to sell things because clearly you're just better at it than I am. <laughs> I've got some fantastic rugs. Thanks very much, Alex. We'll speak to you again soon. Speak soon. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> well, there we go. That was the supremely talented Alex Keeley. We love having Alex at Jericho, and it's so lovely to hear from him why he loves performing at Jericho for you, our lovely audience. We're doing some more brilliant shows over the summer, both at Toad during August and later at Millet's Farm, where we're doing some more of our super fun drive-in shows. Head to www.jerichocomedy.com for info on all of those shows and more. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, share, rate, all of that stuff. We really love doing this. And we'd be so happy to reach more of our brilliant audience. So with your help, we can do that. Make sure you also subscribe to our other new podcast, The Dinner Party, where I interview fantastic guests about their dream dinner parties. The first three episodes are online now, and they're really enjoyable conversations. So please do check them out. Episode three with the brilliant Tiernan Duyev was just released on Friday. If you can, order some books from Blackwells, buy some brilliant toad, gin and whiskey, visit the Jericho Cafe and Common Ground if you're in Oxford. It's such a tough time for so many of our brilliant partners and you can really help them out. And if you can, please also support one of our fantastic partners, Oxfordshire Mind, who are doing amazing work. You can find our fundraising page in the podcast description. We've raised over £70,000 for Oxfordshire Mind in the last few years and it's helped support their vital work. Every penny you donate helps them do life-saving work. So thank you for your support, for all of our brilliant uh, friends and partners. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll see you next time, but until then, bye-bye. <laughs>